they mention first in the Bible, it will carry that definition or that action throughout the entire Bible. There is some truth in that. I don't think it's a rule that you can hang your hat on and say this is the way it always is. But there is some truth in it. You can, you can have some very interesting studies if you do that. And this week I was thinking about, you know, how often is the, uh, the word water mentioned in the Bible? And where all is it mentioned at? So I, I just kind of began backing up through my Bible, flipping the pages back. And I went all the way back to the book of Genesis. The first three verses in the book of Genesis are very interesting. I don't know how, how often you've studied those verses. But you take those verses and you begin to read. In the beginning, you know it, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the Bible says this. And the earth was without form. Now, what that means is literally it was chaos. And then it says, and it was void. It was totally empty. There was was a chaos about it, but it was completely empty. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. Darkness represents a hopelessness. Do you see the picture that God gives us there? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was chaotic, it was empty, and it seemed absolutely hopeless. I want to tell you something. If you are living your life without Jesus, I want you to listen to me very carefully. If you're doing something else, I just want you to focus in on what I'm saying right now. If you are living your life without Jesus, the first two verses of the Bible completely describe where you're at. You are a created being of God, but now your life is total chaos. It is completely empty. You're struggling finding meaning. Am I right? You're, you're looking for purpose in life. You're looking for a direction in life. But it doesn't seem like anything quite fits where you're going. And it is dark. You, you have a sense of hopelessness about you. But listen to what the Bible says next. It doesn't stop there, does it? It says, and then the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. There, there it is, the first mention. The Spirit and the water combined together. There, there's a significance to that. And then you know what the next verse says, of course, right? And the Bible says, and let, God said, let there be light, and there was. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, if you, have not, if you have not received Christ as your personal Savior, the only way you'll ever get light in your life is to come to Jesus, because He is the one, He is the light of the world, is what He said. And He is truly the one who can light up the darkness in your life. And you just need to right now just, just say, Jesus, I am tired of living the way I am. I'm tired of experiencing the things I've been experiencing, and I want to change. I want something that's real. I don't want to just a change of mind. I want a change of heart. I want to go on differently from this point on. Sometimes there's that combination of the Spirit and the water that represents the presence of God. Over in the book of Isaiah, chapter 44 and verse number 3, the Bible says this, For I will pour out water on a thirsty land, and... I will make streams out of dry ground, and I will pour up my spirit among your offspring. So we see that sometimes there's that that, that symbolic presence of God. Sometimes water can be used in correlation with salvation. Uh, The Bible says this, with joy you will draw from the wells of salvation. Sometimes the water is used to represent a satisfaction that we get. I'm about to give a verse. I know you guys know this verse. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Y'all know where that's from? Psalm 23, right? He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. So we see that there is a significance to the use of that, that, that word water. And why is that? You know, God often uses the physical to teach us the spiritual. Did you realize that water is the essential of life? 
75% of the planet that we live on is covered with water. Did you realize that 60%, 66%, roughly 66% of your body is composed of water? Now you understand why so many people are wishy-washy. They're, they're mostly water. If you live to be 75 years old, you're going to drink about 27,600 gallons of water in your life. You can go for about 40 days without food, but you know, you can only go for about three without water. Water, water, it's important. When scientists go look for life on other planets, right now they have a rover on Mars and it is digging around Mars. And you know what it's looking for? Not rocks, it's not looking for dust. It's looking for water because they understand that water is a building block of life. In order to live, you have to have what? Water. <laughs> Jesus said, if anybody is thirsty, let him come after me and I'll satisfy that thirst. I'll give him what, what he needs. I'll give her what she needs. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, if you want to have life, Calvary Baptist Church cannot give you life. We can baptize you up here until you know every tadpole in the pond. It will not bring you life. Pastor Gary Graves cannot give you life. Tony Cargill cannot give you life. Jesus Christ, the God of life, is the only one who can give you life. If you want to satisfy the chaos in your life, the good shepherd says, let me bring you into the fold. Let me pull you in. I'll give you some, I'll give you some satisfaction. I'll give you some comfort. If you want to satisfy that hunger that you're experiencing, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Come to me and eat. If you want to get rid of that darkness, he says, I'm the light. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the great I am. And he says, if anybody thirsts, let him come to me. So you know who I had invitations open to? You. You've heard the song, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Certainly, as he, he laid down his life, he was thinking about me, yeah. But he was thinking about you, and he was thinking about the person next to you. You see, his sacrifice is universal. It knows no borders, it knows no boundaries. The sacrifice of Jesus isn't, isn't bound by socioeconomic status, it isn't bound by age, it isn't bound by race. Jesus came to die for all, and that's just what he did. And now he gives us all the invitation to come. Did you realize that over 163 times in the Bible, this, I'm completely off the books right now, over 163 times in the Bible, God invites us to come to him? It begins in Genesis chapter number 7 when he looks down at Noah and he says, Noah, I want you and your whole family to come into the ark. Isn't it interesting? He didn't just say, no, you come in. He said, no, I want you to come and I want you to bring your whole family. This morning, if you're struggling, if your family is in a battle, if they're fighting that, that hardship and sin just seems to be winning the day, God says this. He says, you just come on and bring your whole family with you. It's going to be okay. And then in Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 17, at the very end of the Bible, he says, if anyone is a thirst, there it is again, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? If anyone is a thirst, let him come. Come to me. Come to Jesus. Have your life changed. So, so here we have an invitation uh, from Jesus to, for anybody to come and to have, uh, have their, their thirst, thirst satisfied. So I asked Jack, I said, Jack, what's your favorite thing about this land? He said, it's simple. It's very simple. It's the water. 
I can get this view a lot of places. There's a lot of places around here that has this view. But not all of them have the view combined with the water. And the water is what's special. It's the life that's in it. So a few weeks, maybe a couple of months go by. And I run into Jack down at uh, the hardware store in Lindale. And I say, hey, man, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty good, going pretty good. Did you get your house started? Yeah, yeah. It, we, we've nearly got the, the roofing done. We've got it all blacked in. It's dry, and we're going to start wiring and roughing the plumbing and all that good stuff. Oh, man, I'm so excited for you. That, that sounds great. I know you're excited. Can't wait to get there. And he said, yeah, I'm excited, but Tony, I've got a problem. That's what's the problem. He said, well, I, I was out there the other day, a couple weeks ago, and I noticed I couldn't hear my water running. So I, I walked down to the creek, and I get down there, and what was my creek is now just a trickle. I mean, it's just barely flowing through there. I had to look to even see it. I said, well, that's, that's not good. What's going on? He said, well, you know what? We, we walked upstream. He said, the next day, me and a buddy of mine walked upstream. We got about 100 yards upstream. And we found the issue. We got beavers. He said, man, those beavers came out, and they, they took sticks, and they took mud, and they just, they just clogged that, that stream up. He said, and you know what? It's awful. He said, I look at it now. My fish are gone, and it's been so hot and dry. I can look at the vegetation around it, and it seems like everything around it is just drying up and dying because those beavers have just stopped the flow of water. Well, Jack, I'm so sorry. He said, well, we've tried everything. We trapped them. didn't work. We took a track hoe. We tore down the dam. And a day later, they had it built up and looked like they reinforced it with concrete this time. <laughs> so I'm so sorry to hear that. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Hmm. But I know there are professing Christians People that have a testimony, I can point to a day and I can point to a time when Jesus saved me. I, I, can, I can take you back in days past where I was so excited about doing the work of the Lord. Man, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to, to get to church. I would get so excited uh, to pick up my Bible and, and to read. I wanted to be around his family. I wanted to be involved in everything that was going on. I prayed every day, and I prayed hard. It wasn't just one of them recital prayers. It was, it was a prayer from the heart. I know there are people who at a time in their Christian life couldn't wait to share their testimony. I mean, man, if somebody had come up to them and give them the opportunity, you couldn't have shut their mouth with two rolls of duct tape. That's saying a lot. I mean, they were going to tell somebody about Jesus. But now it's different. The rivers of living water aren't, aren't really flowing. It's more like a trickle now. It's evident. You know it. You feel it inside. I've been there, guys. I know. You feel it. It's evident in your life. It's evident uh, to the people that you live with. It's evident to the people that you serve with. The people you work with. Something has truly changed. You're not excited about your faith anymore. Coming to church is kind of one of those check-the-box kind of things. You know, kind of like these people that Jesus is talking to. They, they've been going. They're doing all the right things. They're, they're participating in all the rituals. 
But they're just doing it so they can check the box. That's what my grandparents did. That's what my parents did. That's what I do. And that's what my children are going to do. We're just going to check the box so we can get rid of the guilt and we can move on with life and not really worry about that anymore. Because if I don't go, I feel kind of guilty. But if I do go, I feel like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's just not, it's just not what it used to be. Things have changed. You know, it's, it's really sad that we've, we've kind of got to where we are in society, you know? I share with you something I shared with the Sunday school class a couple of weeks ago. Um, Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples. And he comes in, and they're all, you know, those disciples, they, they got pretty... Um, they got pretty self-consumed there for a while, just to say the least. And, and you, don't, you can't blame them. I mean, they're running around with this guy who's healing uh, blind people and lame people and pulling people up out of the grave and feeding 5,000 people with a handful of food. And, and I mean, everybody's talking about And these disciples are, you know, they're, they're his main men, and they're feeling pretty good about who they are. Matter of fact, too good about who they are. They begin to think that they're what it's about instead of him. And Jesus comes into the room, and he, he bows down, and he begins to wash their feet. You remember the story? And Peter looks at him, and he says, Lord, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. And, and this is what Peter says. He says, well, just wash me all over, Lord. Just cleanse me all over. And Jesus says this to him, amazing statement. He says, look, those who have been washed all over don't need their whole body washed again. They just need their feet washed. And you know what he's talking about? Those guys wore, I call them Jerusalem cruisers. They wore their sandals everywhere they went, right? The roads weren't paved. They didn't have concrete sidewalks. They walked on dirt all day. So what happens? Their feet got dirty. And, and Jesus is making a point. When we walk around a dirty world, our feet get dirty. Now, I'm not talking about physical now. I'm talking about spiritual. We walk around this world that we live in, and we're going to get a little bit dirty. Look, we've been washed all over. I've been saved. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I know the songs. I know the scriptures that go with it. I know my life was changed. But something's not right. My feet have got dirty. You don't have to get saved again. When Jesus saved you the first time, He saved you completely, holy, and eternally. You, you got everything you need for all eternity right then. But I want to tell you, if you want to enjoy your spiritual walk, if you want to enjoy your salvation, sometimes you got to get your feet clean. We live in a dirty world, a very materialistic society. I mean, think about it. Materialism has consumed who we are. We're concerned about having a nice house. It's not just about keeping up with the Jones anymore. It's about keeping up with the Jones and the Smiths and the Cargills and, and everybody else. We want to have nice stuff. I want to drive a nice car. I want to wear nice clothes. I want to have my entertainment, doggone it. I want to sit down on Saturdays and watch my ball games. I do. I can't deny it. But you know what? We have really lost focus on the truly important things, haven't we? Because one day my house, if it doesn't burn to the ground, it'll rot to the ground. And my car is going to quit running. And doggone it, my team's going to get beat every week pretty much. I'm a Tennessee fan. It happens. Yeah, we won yesterday. Y'all keep it up. Yeah. Those things really don't matter. A hundred years from now, what does it matter, right? Does it matter where I live? Does it matter what I drove? Does it matter what kind of shoes that I wore? 
Does it matter who I rooted for as a team? No, it's all going to pass away. The Bible says that all these things that we are involved in right now, this whole world, it's going to go away. But what's going to be eternal is our souls and the souls of the people around us. So the truly important things in life have nothing to do with this body, but it has to do who we are in Christ Jesus, what he saved us to be. You know, I was thinking about it yesterday. Uh, we're in a place in a world that we've just got to repent, guys. As churches, we have to repent. You know when archaeologists go and uncover a new society or a new dig? The first thing that they do is they begin to look for centers where people uh, gather together. They look for a place where people sit in, in, in kind of a circle, large groups of people. And the reason they do that is because they understand that where people typically gather in large groups and they gather in a circle is the place that they worship. Hmm. You know, the way we do church now, it's kind of unique in history where everybody faces in one direction. Most societies in the past, they all circled around and everything took place in that, inside that circle. So I got to thinking about that yesterday. You know, I, I get excited about, about my teams and about football and about all these things that are going on. But a thousand years from now, if archaeologists begin to uncover America and they begin to look for the places that we worship and they begin to look for the gods that we worship, you know what they're going to find? They're going to find a bunch of stadiums. I'm sorry, that's the truth. And it's a sad reality. I don't want some scientist a thousand years from now to think that my God was the guy carrying a ball. My God is the one who sits upon the circle of the earth. My God is the one who said, let there be light. And there was light. My God is the one who sent his only begotten son to die for the sins of an entire world, to die not only for his friends, but to die for his enemies as well. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be as excited and we need to be as encouraged and we need to be as involved in our faith and our religion as we are in our ball teams. Amen and oh me. I'm looking for the day when somebody just walks in this door and they just start praising God and, and talking about the touchdown that Jesus scored in their life that week. He's talking to people here. People here who knew something about religion. People here who had been practicing religion but not experiencing righteousness. If any man's thirsty, let him come after me. Look, maybe you're here today and, and you say, Tony, being a Christian is hard. Let me tell you what the Bible says about that. It says the way of the transgressor is hard. You might be one of those people who, who feel like David. You know, David's a unique study. You, you open up Psalm 32 and you begin reading about David and, and how he felt when he was not doing the things that the Lord wanted him to do. And th this is just some of the things he said. He said, my bones are waxing old. Which meant he was dying on the inside. He said, there's a roaring all day and night. He had no peace of mind. He says, Lord, your hand's heavy on me. He was being crushed by life. Does that sound familiar? And then he says, my moisture has turned into the drought of summer. There's no water. No water flowing. David came to a stark realization somewhere down the road, though. You heard about the guy and his wife who were riding down the road in his truck and his pickup. And his wife's sitting on one side and he's sitting on the other side. And she looks over. And some of you may relate to this. She says, honey, do you remember when we first got married, started dating, got, started dating, then we got married, how we'd get in the truck and I, I'd sit right over there next to you? And he said, yeah, I remember that. You know, he's got his hands on the wheel, he's just driving down the road. 
She said, do you remember how a lot of times when it'd be cold, I'd get right over the next to you and you'd warm me up? Yeah, I remember that. Do you remember how sometimes we'd be going places and I'd get tired, I'd just lay my head on your shoulder and I'd take a nap? Yeah, I remember that too. And she looks at him and says, what happened? You know, he's driving the truck. And he said, well, I'll just tell you this. I ain't the one that moved. <laughs> what happened? What happened to your spiritual life? God didn't move. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He doesn't change. David came to that realization that he was the one that moved. And you know what he prayed? He began to pray hard. He said, have mercy on me, God, according to your tender kindness. Blot out my transgressions. God, wash me from all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Make me to hear joy and gladness again, creating me a clean heart, O God, renewing me a right spirit, uh, restoring me the joy of my salvation. Today, you might need to pray that same prayer too. So I called Jack a few weeks later. I said, Jack, what's going on, buddy? Oh, I'm just getting on with life. Y'all have heard that before, hadn't you? <laughs> I'm getting on with life. It's good. It's all good. I said, would you get your problem fixed? He said, not yet, but I think I've got a solution. Well, tell me about your solution, Jack. He said, you're not going to believe this. This is too good to be true. You know, we, we tried trapping those critters, and we tried tearing down the dam, and they just came back, and just didn't seem like anything was working. And uh, I found a guy. You know, when the conversation starts like that, I found a guy. <laughs> he said, you're not going to believe this, Tony. His name's Bubba, and he's licensed in explosives. You find a guy whose name is Bubba that can handle bombs? Man, I'm in. <laughs> He said, Bubba told me that he could come out and he could use explosives and he could clear the dam and the beavers all at the same time. Now, I don't know if there's any animal lovers in here, but hey, I'm just telling you the story. I didn't do it. I'm just telling you. So I said, well, you know what? Uh, I would love to be there for this, but I'm way too smart for that. Let me know how it turns out. <clears throat> so a few days later, Jack calls me. Well, how'd it go, Jack? He said, man, you're not going to believe it. He said, Bubba took and he, he wired that, that beaver dam up. He put it, some explosives in there, some dynamite, I guess. He put it in there, and we got back a couple hundred yards, and he took a megaphone, and he, he yelled, fire in the hole, three different times. Then he had this little box, had a button on it. He pulled the pin out of the box. It was a safety, and he pushed that button. What happened? He said, man, when he pushed that button, Boom. Mud flew everywhere, sticks, rocks, bark, everything. It just flew in all directions. Well, what was the result? He said, water. <laughs> I have water again, flowing water. You remember what Paul said in the book of Romans? He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation and to all those who believe. That word power, you know what it is? It's the Greek word dunamis. And you know where, what we get our English word, what English word translates from dunamis? Dynamite. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the dynamite of God unto salvation. What is the gospel? 
Well, the gospel is very simple. The gospel is good news. It is Jesus Christ crucified for our sins. It is Jesus Christ, the light of the world. It is Jesus Christ who came to set at liberty those who are captive. Now, I'm talking to people here who live in a real world. I understand that. And I know that sometimes we just get beat up by life. You ever feel that way? I mean, man, you've been run through the ringer. You've been beat down. You've been beat up. You've been beat sideways. You're just beat in every direction. I know there are some of you in this church this morning, you're struggling with family issues. It's tough. I understand it. It's hard. It'll wear you out. It'll be a beaver that'll come along and it'll put a little deposit of mud in your creek. I know there's, there's some of you who, who've got children. This, you're about to lose your mind because you don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know how to help them. This seems like they're going off. There's a beaver. It's put mud in your creek. You got financial issues. Not sure how you're going to pay the bills. There comes those beavers. Let's be honest. There are people in here this morning who are struggling with addictions. All kind of addictions. Those beavers are piling it up. You see what's happening? One little scoop at the time, one load at the time, one rock at the time, one stick at the time. They're coming to your river and they're, they're, they're beginning to clog things up. What's the gospel? The gospel is all those things I said. It is the good news. It is also Jesus Christ who bore our griefs. The gospel is Jesus Christ who carries our sorrows. The gospel is Jesus Christ who was wounded for our transgressions. The gospel is Jesus Christ who was bruised for my iniquities. The gospel is Jesus Christ who by his stripes we are healed. You see him? If anybody's thirsty, <laughs> let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. 